Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. There's a whole lot of folks who who grow up in, in Christianity. They, they, they go to church a lot, and they, they kind of sort of have this experience, and it goes kind of like this. In the Old Testament, God's all grouchy and judgeful and wrathful, and then in the New Testament, that's where his grace pours out and sort of, sort of stuff like that. And, 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 and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna basically say that is a false teaching. It is a completely wrong view of the Bible. And if you hold that view, then, then I'm going to challenge it very hard today. I'm gonna, we're gonna take a look at exactly what, how this truly is. And I'm gonna need your help because this is not something where this, you know, this is, a, there's a second sort of false teaching that's here. And that is that Christianity is a spectator sport, that it's just something you go and you, and, it, and it, it's hard to, it's, I understand why people feel that way because that's what you guys are seated. You're, you're, you're watching. We literally have people spectating online, which is a good and wonderful thing. But here's the thing, guys. This, this one hour and, and 12 minutes or so is, is, I always like that extra few minutes. I need them. And, and so this, this time that we spend together each week is not Christianity. That's not what it is. It is worship, yes, but your worship goes far beyond this one hour, I pray. Your, your time through the week is when Christianity happens. These are the mission briefings. These are the, 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 these are the power-ups for those of you who play video games. This is when you come and you go, you know, this is when this happens. Or this is when you plug yourself into the great charger in the universe, right? And I mean, and you are rejuvenated. This is what this is for. In fact, if we, if we t- use another analogy, this is when we get together and we prepare for the game. And I'm asking you guys, it is football season now, I'm asking you guys to join me in the actual plays. Because it, can you imagine the quarterback? He can't even take the snap without a team. And if he were to take the snap, who's going to block those pass rushers that are coming? Who's going to receive the pass when he throws it? Who is going to carry the ball when he hands it off? And this is the way I'm looking at you guys right now. And you're like, what does this have to do with Hosea too? It's because... I need, I need, I need, I'm calling you all to, I mean, to, to the fellas out there, I need you to throw some blocks. To the ladies out there, I need you to, I need you to catch the pass, carry the ball. To the children out there, go deep because we're throwing, baby. The ball is coming out today. And so what we're doing today is I want you to join with me so that when you hear other people say something like this, well, God of the Old Testament is just kind of grouchy. God of the Old Testament, that's when all his wrath was coming out. And in the New Testament, you know, that's when, we, you know, that's when the grace comes. And I want you, every time you hear that, say, Mm-mm, that's not true. That's not true. So, so let's just do a little role play here. And, and for the people gathered here, you, you, you're, you're going to get a cue here in a second. So if I said to you, you know, the Old Testament is about God's wrath and the New Testament is about God's grace. What are you going to tell me? Yeah, see, there you go. See, see we've already got a first down. Yeah, we're, moved, we're marching down the field. That was, a, that was like a 30-yard pass play right there. We're off to a good start. And this is what we need to do today. We need to let God's word carry this through and to show us how, even though many people in this world, both then and now, are ungrateful, he keeps working. Take a look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And it's, it's important that we sort of see the context here. Look at what he says. Upon here, this is God talking. 
And he's asking Hosea, this is what you're going to tell him. Upon her children, that is the children of whoredom, right? That's what he called them. Also, I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And some people will be like, there you go, Mark. That's Old Testament. If I ever saw Old Testament, that's it, right? And I'm just like, we should, I should, you know, I don't have time because remember, I only get an hour and 12 minutes. But if I had more time, I would show you, I would show you five New Testament passages that are going to sound a lot like this. When Jesus said things like, you know, if your, if your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, lest you be thrown into the fire. What? Jesus said that? Jesus talked more about hell than anybody in the Bible. So let us dispense with this idea. God's wrath is an ever-present reality because he will not stand for evil. May I just say that to you? He will not stand for evil. And, and sometimes we feel like he'll just put up with anything because we look out at our world and we're like, how long, oh Lord, just like the psalmist. So just know you're not alone when you feel that. Literally, there's like 62 psalms that are in that same kind of mindset. How long until your justice comes, oh Lord? And we want justice, make no mistake. But at the same time, God has love that is steadfast love. It's the never stopping, never breaking, uh, always and forever kind of love. It is his kessid that we talked about at the grind a couple weeks ago. And it is, this, it is this steadfast love that just, it is unending, it's infinite. In fact, what we find out is God, in fact, is love. And so what happens when, we, when we're looking at this and, and we're like, well, which is it, Mark? Is it his wrath or is it his grace, his mercy, his love? And of course, you know, don't ask me either or questions because I'm going to say yes. Take a look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 8. See, and, and this is the question that I want you to think about. Where do your provisions come from? Look at where their provisions come from. She did not know this this, this, this whoring mother and her whoring children. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they use for Baal. This, this name Baal, this, this, or Baal, or however you, however you hear it talked about, is this was an Old Testament. Uh, during that time, this was a, a, a pagan god that they worshipped. And in the land that they lived in, um, everyone considered that, it, that basically Baal and Asherah would have sex together. Yes, once again, we're talking about sex, right? We have to, well, last week we had to get over it. We got to get over it again today because God's talking about it, right? That's why we have to talk about it. And so they would have sex together and that would make it rain. That would make the crops grow. And in order to get them to have sex, you had to go to their high places and have sex. That's how it worked. That's what, this is what it was in. And then the, the children of Israel, these whores, who God calls them, had the audacity to say when we would go to those high places, they're very bad high places, and do very terrible and shameful things, that's why we would have grain and wine and oil who lavished and lavished uh, upon them silver and gold rather than the Lord of hosts the one who had actually brought them out of Egypt, the one who had actually given them the land, whom they had seen do this work, and their parents had seen it, and their grandparents had seen it. And, 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 and God is just like, seriously? <laughs> you think that all of this comes from Baal? Take a look. 
at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Because again, once again, we'll be like, well, Mark, we don't have, we don't have pagan worship anymore. Idols are not a problem for us. Oh, let's read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writing, and, and, and I put in quotes there a strong delusion. Because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that in the last days, God will put out a strong delusion that could potentially even deceive the elect, right? It's such a strong delusion that we would start to think that it's real, even those who might have, you know, who are, who are longing after God. And look at what the Apostle Paul says. What do I imply then? He's talking about what was going on in their culture, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that pagans, that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You see, and I mentioned the strong delusion. Here's the strong delusion. Most of us don't even think demons are real. That's, that's what all the research tells us. The research tells us if I was to survey everyone in this room and everyone gathered online, that about one out of four of you would actually believe that demons are real. I think that, I think that the enemy has been successful at his strategy. And yet we would say that and then we would turn on our news channel and we would gasp again at everything that's going on in our world. And we would wonder how in the world could people believe that some of those things that they think, that they think the proper way to have justice is to burn the city down. We, that's what we do. Demons aren't real. Oh, look, look at all the actions of demons. How could people do this, right? This is what's going on. This is the strong delusion that exists in our time. And this is why we have to go back and recognize that while it is true, we may not have a little idol on our, on our mantle in our living room. And we may not offer sacrifices to that idol, or we may not go to the down to the to the local lodge, which is what he's talking about here, the local temple dining room, and 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 eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. We don't have that that type of thing. Here's what we do, and I'm going to tell you about 2003, Mark. You're, we're going back in time to 2003, Mark, and we're going to see how Mark sacrificed meat to idols. 2003, Mark was so excited, he was able to purchase season tickets to the Kansas City Chiefs. And he was able to go to the temple of Arrowhead Stadium and worship there every Sunday for 10 weeks during the year. And, and make no mistake, guys, it's fine to go to a football game. Mark wasn't going to a football game. Mark was going to a temple. And Mark was participating with demons. And, and I had to be awakened out of that. Because there are things in our lives that become that which we our, our place our trust in, that which we get most excited about, that which we care about. I mean, are you kidding me the amount of money that I would spend on that? I would spend all kinds of money. I would spend all kinds of energy. I would spend all kinds of effort. I still, still spend a little too much energy watching those games. But the point is this. When, when, I, when I was doing all of that, and at the same time, I would get grouchy if church went more than an hour and 12 minutes. Do you, are you tracking with me? Do you see how that's a completely upside down view of the world and it's a completely wrong view? And, and what we need to see is that in our world, demons are very real and they're constantly luring us away. And it is absolutely fine. We are free in Christ to do all kinds of activities, including enjoy a good football game this afternoon, which as the Lord wills it, I hope to do. But at the same time, to enjoy that football game, knowing that Jesus is Lord. And knowing that when a certain commercial comes on, it's time for me to turn the screen off. And knowing that when certain things happen, it's time for me to look away. And because I don't want to participate with demons. And I'm just using one example, guys. There's a million we could give. There's a million we could give. At work, at school, at play. 
when you're sitting at home and you're browsing your social media, all of this is part of this. Do not be participants with demons. Take a look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 25, another New Testament passage. This is where Paul is in, he's in Athens, Greece. He's at Mars Hill, and he's talking with those people who were there. They were all the, the philosophers and the, and the debaters of religion and, and theology and all of those kinds of things. And he is proclaiming to them what they do not know. He is proclaiming to them what they do not know. And here is what he proclaims to them. The God who made the world and everything in it. How much did he make? Everything in it. Being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he, what's that word? Needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind. And what does he give to all mankind? Life and breath. Take a breath. Take a breath. God just gave you a gift. And every one that comes after that is from him. And what else did he give you? Everything. <laughs> just so we're all clear, right? And so, so it's not just your life and your breath. It's every single thing. He actually gives me the opportunity to watch those football games. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. The key is who is Lord of heaven and earth. And where this plays out in our culture right now is when we see all these people doing terrible things and us Christians, that, that swell of righteousness comes up into us, our self-righteousness, and we look, look at all those sinners. Look at all those people who are broken. Look at all those people who are, who are giving themselves over. God doesn't need anything, but what does he want? Let's take a look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, and I love this, this, the word behold. Behold is that moment when God is like, look at this. Therefore, look at this. I will, and I'm thinking of that song that we sang about God's goodness is running after us. I will allure her. Who is he alluring here? The prostitute. The prostitute, the whore, the one who had whored her out to the Baals and to the Asherahs and had done all of the terrible things in the high places. I am alluring her. Did she deserve to be allured? Mm -mm. No, she didn't. He made that very clear. He was even like, I'm not going to have mercy on her or her children, but I will allure her. And I will bring her into the wilderness, which is just this giant hyperlink. Go read the book of Numbers, right? Go read Exodus and, 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 and Leviticus and see what was happening in the wilderness, right? In fact, the book of Numbers, if you read it in Hebrew, it's called the book of wilderness. This is what it is. And, and it's this idea back. It's like God is saying back in those days when we were in the wilderness, you know, it was just you and me. We didn't have all these foreign gods here. It was just you and me. And we were together. And, and look what he says. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. I'm going to speak tenderly to her. He's speaking his word to you and to me. And what he's inviting us to do. Remember what Jesus said? He goes, he goes you know, this guy comes to him and says, what is the greatest commandment? He goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He speaks this tenderly to us because what he wants us to do is to participate with him, 
What does God want? He wants his bride. But Jesus didn't say to his bride, I want you to sit and wait for me, did he? He didn't say that. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them and I want you to teach them. And the way that we make disciples is by baptizing and teaching certainly everything in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus gave us to, and commanded to us to guard and to keep. He, he gives us that mission. But guys, the way that we do the mission is, remember what Jesus said, you will know my, you are, they will know you're my disciples by your love. I will speak tenderly to her. I will invite her to go with me, right? He doesn't need anything, but he wants you and me. He wanted the people of Israel. He wants his children, his people. This is what he wants. Take a look at verses 15 and 16. What is he going to do? His plan has never changed. So this whole idea about, well, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, no, no, no. It's always been this plan. And there I will give her vineyards and make the Valley of Achor. Now, everyone in Bible study, you guys remember the Valley of Achor. So remember that word. We're coming back to it. A door of hope. Now, for us, we're kind of like, Valley of Achor, you know, I'm sorry, Mark, that's written, coming up blank on that one. That's from Joshua chapter seven. We're going to talk about it. Anyway, just know that it was a really bad place. And now he's going to make it into a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth at this, and at, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. That was the time of the wilderness when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. Just so we're all clear, Baal was another word for husband. In fact, it was probably more like, you know, a, a pejorative, well, not pejorative, but it was an inappropriate word for someone you go and have sex with. And, and now what God is saying, I want to use a different word to say it's not just about sex. It's about a life together. It's about a loving, cherishing relationship. You know, we always use the example with sex is if sex is within marriage, it is this beautiful life-giving thing. If sex is outside of marriage, it destroys. It is, it is, and it's like the old analogy. If you put, if you put, if you put a plant in a, in a pot and you put that, that which the plant is in, we call it soil. But if you dump it all out on the floor, we call it dirt. <laughs> it's the same. Inside the container of marriage, it's life-giving, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Outside, it's dirt. It's a mess. It causes nothing but trouble. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you keep running after these wrong things. You keep getting diverted to these wrong things. You keep buying season tickets to Arrowhead when you should be putting your heart and your soul and your mind and all that you want into me. Because one will give you some fun for an, a couple hours. One will give you life and life to the full. And this is what he's talking about. When we were in the wilderness, God says, when we were in the wilderness, I was with you. It was just the two of us. And yes, of course, we would remember how he called them a stiff-necked people. You know, they were still rebelling, but the, he, was, he was continuing to allure them, to pull them, to bring them in. And then he tells the story, he mentions the Valley of Achor. Now, if you were to go and read Joshua chapter six and seven, we read chapter seven today in Bible study, what you would find is the Valley of Achor was a place where there was great judgment. God had, there were people in the community that had stolen, had coveted and stolen. And those people were taken to the Valley of Achor and they were, they were put to death. And now God is saying, I will make the Valley of Achor a door of hope. 
He is telling us that that which is broken, that which is a place of death and destruction, will be the place of restoration. Say that word with me, restoration, right? And, we're, and I'm, I'm dragging out the syllables on purpose, restoration. He's going to restore things. This is his promise. And that promise started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, only 14 verses after everything started going south, right? The story of God's grace begins on page one of the Bible, and it goes to the very last page. The story of God's wrath begins on page three of the Bible, and it goes all the way to the last page. So his wrath is ever-present. It is an ever-present reality. He will not let evil stand. Valley of Achor. He would not let evil stand. And yet, it is in the place where he will, he will vanquish evil that he will, that will be the door of hope. So, for example, there is this place that's just outside of Jerusalem. It's on a hill. It's called in the Gospels Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, the place of death. And it is that place where God himself, who had entered into the wilderness, who had lured the dog, the, this, this, this whoring wife of his back, who had spoken tenderly to her, Neither will I leave you nor forsake you. Neither will I condemn you. I have come to give you life and life to the full. I am the bread of life. I am the lamb. He keeps telling them all of these things. And he keeps inviting her home. And it was in that place, which was called Golgotha, that we now call Calvary. <laughs> It is the place where Jesus died for you and for me. His, his loving sacrifice to lure you and me home, to, to take care of the problem of wrath, to take all of the wrath upon himself so that we would call him my husband, the bridegroom, and we are his bride. Take a look at verses 19 and 20. This is the power of the gospel. And notice it is probably in its most 200 proof form here in, on an Old Testament page in an Old Testament prophet who's talking about all kinds of things that we don't understand because we don't read the Old Testament nearly enough. And, and what we're doing here is he, is he is pronouncing, he's proclaiming to you and to me what he is going to do. I will betroth you to me forever. It's like we saw last week with, the, with John the Baptist talks about the bridegroom and how he hears the voice of the bridegroom and what that means and how that means he is here to betroth you and me to him forever. I will betroth you to me in what? In righteousness. This is the Old Testament word mishpat. And it means this, I, uh, sorry, I just did justice. The Old Testament word zedekah, the brain gets to catch up to the mouth here. And so the Old Testament word zedekah, and the word zedekah means this idea of things the way they always ought to have been. That the way things always ought to have been, going back to the garden, and when the serpent says to Eve, did God really say? What would happen if, if Eve said, yep, that's what he said, and I believe him and I trust him. So go away, go away, serpent. I don't want to talk to you. See, this is it. I'm going to betroth you to me in righteousness, in Zedekah and in Mishpat. Now we'll get that word out. Mishpat is this idea, not of eye for an eye and truth or tooth for a tooth, but in restoration of that which is broken. 
And guys, he wants you and me to participate in that. He, he's not, you know, have you ever, have you ever found a marriage work when, when the bride, the bridegroom comes and the bride is brought up and then the bride just sits on the couch forever? <laughs> sits in the pew forever? No, 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 no. Right? And, and, and that's the thing that's going on here. He wants us to participate in mishpat and zedekah and, 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 and righteousness and injustice and, and this idea that, that we would participate with him in, the th- in making those things which are broken the way they always ought to have been and to restore, to make those valleys of Achor, those Golgothas become a door of hope, to become a place called Calvary. Because this is the idea. It's, if, it's like somebody said to me not long ago, they're like, I don't really care that Jesus died for my sins. Isn't that interesting to hear that from somebody? And the reason that they said that is because they don't think that they have sins. And even if they did, they don't see how any of that is connected to them. To which our response must be, well, what would happen if I was here to help you? What would happen if I was standing with you shoulder to shoulder? To see ourselves as God's ambassador in that moment. To say, well, I understand that you don't care about that. But right now you need to know that I care about that. And more importantly, I care about you. Because at that moment, now it's not just a story that they don't have a connection with. Now it's a human being standing in front of them, loving them, instead of trying to show them how wrong they are. And this is the key. Righteousness and justice, Zedekah and Mishpat, in steadfast love, Kessid and mercy. This, this idea that, that not receiving what we deserve Steadfast love, and that word for mercy is actually rahama. And rahama, many translations will put that as compassion. Because it's interesting because you're like, well, which is it? Is it mercy or compassion? And of course we know it's yes. It is those both. And he goes, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And guys, this is the weirdest part of that verse. Because that is the Hebrew word yada. And it means to know in the biblical sense, if you'll just allow that language, which again, it doesn't fit our categories. We don't understand that. God wants to be with us on an intimate level. And I know that sounds so strange, but it's literally what he desires. It's what he wants. And it is the power of the gospel that he loves you so much. He loves me so much that he will literally move heaven and earth for you and for me. He brought heaven to earth for you and for me. This morning, I got word that my mother-in-law, Yuna, saw the bridegroom face to face, and she's with him now. And And I was thinking about how during her life, I know she's had times when she wondered, God, what is happening? And I know in these last few days that she suffered from lung cancer, she was like, why is this happening? I know that. I heard her say that. And when, when you think about that, I want you to hear the power of the gospel for her, but not just for her circumstances, but to see those as an example of those types of things you and I go through and will yet go through. And I want you to hear the voice of the bridegroom as he says to you and to me, hear these words in the context of that kind of question. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know 
the Lord. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray that we would know you. I pray that you would help us to see these seemingly paradoxical statements as the reality of your love and what you will do for the one to whom you have betrothed yourself. You have pursued your children across the ends of the earth. And then you have invited those who have responded to go with you as we go and round up the rest of them, to bring them home, to show those countless numbers of prodigal sons that the father is out on the road looking for them and that when he sees them, he will run to them and he will kiss them. He will wrap them in a robe and he will put a ring on their finger and he will have the biggest party there's ever been. Help us see that love and that grace and that mercy that flows freely from on high through that place which was once called the place of the skull and is now called the place where death was defeated because you sent your son to die for us and he did not stop there. He rose from the grave for each one and every one of us to have life that is never ending, that is abundant, that is full. And just as we think about Yuna, and we long for the day of resurrection, we put our trust in you who would betroth us to you. And we long for that day when we will see you face to face, our bridegroom. And it is in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ, your Son, our Lord, our bridegroom, that we pray, he who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.